This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 393. The kindest, most loving, caring thing we can do is to help people who are struggling with changing the way that they're showing up in certain ways in a way that doesn't elicit shame, but stokes their power. No one wants to be changed, but change and personal growth are critical to success and more importantly, to a fulfilled life. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I believe, of course, that the best path to that growth is through books. If you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. Today, we're digging into a book called You Can Change Other People, the four steps to help your colleagues, employees, even family up their game. It's written by authors Peter Bregman and Howie Jacobson. I'll be asking them to share what they've learned about the difference between resisting change and resisting being changed, how to initiate conversations that help others want to change, how to get others to focus on the outcome rather than the problem, and plenty more. You know, these days we've become pretty accustomed to just about anything we want or need arriving right to our door. Now, wouldn't it be nice if your prescription meds arrived on time every month, neatly packaged on your doorstep? And wouldn't it be great if you were actually saving money? For that convenience, well, it's actually possible through our sponsor, Scripco. Scripco is the first online pharmacy that puts the power of wholesale medicine and home delivery into your hands. After all, why let insurance companies decide how much you should pay, right? At Scriptco, they've cut out the middleman and given the power to you. They shop around for the absolute lowest price anywhere on the medicine you need without the insurance price hike. Then they send you the best deal right to your door. Now, with a Scriptco membership, you save big with access to wholesale prices on your generic medications. To see how much you could be saving, check out their free savings calculator at Scriptco.com. That's S-C-R-I-P-T-C-O.com. And because you're a listener to this show, you can save even more. Get $25 off your initial membership with the code READ25. That's R-E-A-D-2-5. Again, just visit Scriptco.com and get $25 off your initial membership with the code READ25. That's Scriptco.com. Peter Bregman is the CEO of Bregman Partners. He coaches, writes, teaches, and speaks mostly about leadership and about life. His sweet spot is as a strategic thought partner to successful people who care about being exceptional leaders and stellar human beings. Peter is recognized as the number one executive coach in the world by leading global coaches. He coaches C-level executives in many of the world's premier organizations, including City, CBS, Mars, Showtime, and Electronic Arts, to name a few. Howie Jacobson, Ph.D., is an executive coach to clients ranging from startup founders to established and rising Fortune 100 leaders. He is director of coaching at Bregman Partners and head coach at the Healthy Minds Initiative. Howie is the author of AdWords for Dummies, co-author of Sick to Fit, and Use the Weight to Lose the Weight with Josh Lawani, and a contributing author to several other books. Howie's writings have also appeared in Fast Company and Harvard Business Review. He also hosts the Plant Yourself podcast, where he interviews remarkable people engaged in healing at the individual, institutional, and planetary level. Their new book again is called You Can Change Other People, The Four Steps to Help Your Colleagues, Employees, Even Family Up Their Game. Peter, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. 
And Howie, likewise, welcome. Thank you. Well, uh, as you just heard, Peter has been practicing a, a number of techniques that we're going to be talking about today with with specifically C-level uh, executives. And, and Howie has spent much of his time practicing these techniques in the health industry. But I'm curious to know how you guys came together, as I just did with a co-author uh, for a new book, how you guys came together to work on this project. Peter, what was that What was that like? How did you meet this guy? How did you come together? Well, I actually had the good fortune of meeting this guy over two decades ago and asked him immediately. I I gave Howie, who who didn't know much about the work I was doing, I remember this very specifically, I gave him like three or four books to read and said, you know, read these books and, and then like, let's have a conversation about them. And if I'm remembering correctly, I think he came up to me the next day, having read all four of the books <laughs> and, and like not only taken in the information, but super smart about asking questions about them and and drawing references and inferences. And, and I was like, okay, so could you come work with me, please? <laughs> and he did 20 years ago. And then we sort of worked on and off with each other. Uh, but I constantly learned from Howie and, and, and Howie, maybe you want to jump in on how we came to write this particular book. Yeah. I mean, I will say that, uh, you know, when, the, when the, when the flower finds the rain, the flower drinks heavily. It was, you know, I, I don't I don't do that for everyone. But like the stuff you were sharing was extremely profound for me. I had just gotten a Ph.D. in health education and the things I was doing weren't working. And you all of a sudden showed me a completely different model. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to learn about this. So we've been friends over the years. And, you know, for the last decade, Peter's been teaching coach training. So every time I get a chance to go to his coach training, I do. And he announced like two and a half years ago, he this was his last one that and I was there. And I was like, no, it's not your last one. This is too good. It's too important. You know, you're we're, we're affecting, you know, 20, 30 people at a time. But this stuff is really, really good stuff. And so that's kind of where the the germ of the idea is. Well, let's turn it into a book so we can get it out there. As I've been doing a lot of interviews for my book, which is about how to get more out of books, it's kind of meta. Hmm. Uh, I've been talking a lot about this idea that people don't want to learn. Uh, they don't want to change. They don't want to grow because it, it means admitting briefly that that we don't know something, which we're conditioned not to do. We're, we're conditioned to avoid. But I like, uh, Peter, uh, your guys' approach to how you discuss resistance to change. Talk about resisting change versus resisting being changed. Yeah, you know, I think I think none of us like to lose control uh, over ourselves, and there is this sense that people resist change. I have not found that to be true. People make changes all the time. They get married. They start new jobs. They change jobs. They have children. They. I just got a dog uh, for the first time in my life at fifty three, <laughs> and you know that's a pretty massive change. And we make those changes all the time when we decide to make those changes. And 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 I don't resist that. But you try to change me and forget it. I'm going to resist that, mm. you know, to the hilt because that reflects my complete loss of autonomy and my loss of control and freedom and and uh, and it makes it difficult. So, yeah, I don't think people resist change. I do think we resist being changed. Now, tie this into the title of the book, which is You Can Change Other People. And it, it's, it's absolutely true, but it's not manipulative. This, this is not a process in which I come in 
and change you against your will and use fancy words to get you to do what I want you to do. That is not at all what this is. That there oftentimes in many situations, most situations where people want to change and they're just sort of stuck. Like they don't know how. They don't know what, you know, I just had a, a coaching demo call, which actually we've put on our website to show this process. And it was with someone who is struggling with leading his team the way he wants to lead his team. And it's a great example of someone who wants to change. They want to get better at it, but they just don't quite know how. They don't know why they're doing what they're doing or how to do it differently. So he's going to do something differently this afternoon based on a conversation we had this morning. And had we not had that conversation, he would not be changing what he's doing. So that's what I mean by, yeah, we can change other people. I changed what he's going to do, but it's his agenda and I'm helping him to make that change. And he's the one who's making the change. But we, you know, we can really done right. We can really support people in making those changes. The problem is almost always when we try to change other people, we do it in a way that elicits the kind of resistance we're trying to avoid. I was just reading a study recently about how millennials will make up 75% of the workforce by by 2025 in just four years and how overwhelmingly they are interested in personal and professional growth, personal and professional change. And, and yeah. that, that surprised me a little bit. So I, I like your take on this. Um, Howie, to you now, I want to get into some of the steps of this of this process, the first of which being moving from critic to, to ally. How do we initiate conversations that help others want to change? What, what Peter was starting to get at a minute ago. Yeah, well, I think people do want to change very often. So it's not that we're trying to motivate them, right? We're not trying to go rah-rah or even ask them leading questions to say, well, why wouldn't it be better if you did this instead of that? But, but rather to get rid of the obstacles. So one of the obstacles is that people may feel shame about where they're stuck. And so one of the things we want to do is be very, very clear that we are a safe mammal for them to be around. Like they're going to, you know, like if you see a dog and you can sort of see like, oh, its hackles are up, it's, it's, it's growling, its ears are back. Like we give off signals of are we safe or are we not? And so whether it's, you know, in person or just through our words or through our affect, to come across as an ally to say to this person, I'm, I'm on your side. And it's it's safe to discuss this with me so we can normalize it. We can you know, we certainly talk a lot about empathizing. So we're not trying to criticize, make people feel worse for whatever their their stuckness or deficiencies are. But to say, like, yeah, this is normal. Can we, would you like to talk about it with me and to not put ourselves in a position of I'm the expert. I'm no better than you. You, you're, There's something wrong with you. But to, to see this as a very normal human process and to just offer ourselves with humility as a thinking partner. Hmm. A few years ago, I learned that what, whenever I face a problem, a good question to ask is, what does this make possible? Before, I might have just complained about the situation. And How, how can we as, as leaders, as coworkers, uh, family even, uh, get others to focus on the outcome that they want rather than the problem, Peter? First of all, Jeff, I love that question. I love that question that you're asking. What does this make possible? It's a terrific question, to ask when faced with a constraint or, or a problem or a hurdle. And the answer to your question now about like, how do you get people to focus on the outcome is actually very straightforward. You ask them, what is the outcome you want? And it is amazing 
both what a difference that makes and how it shifts people's thinking and how people, when they're stuck in a problem, don't often think about that. So when I'm stuck in a problem, I'm often struggling with my problem. I'm often trying to figure out, like, how do I get rid of this problem? And wow, this problem, I've got this person on my, Ramona on my team is, you know, monopolizing the conversation and super aggressive and, and, and impolite and she's a problem. And you know, what do I do? How do I fix my Ramona problem? And then you can ask the question, first of all, if we're, if we're in the mode of how do I fix my Ramona problem? The answer is simple, fire Ramona, <laughs> right? You no longer have a Ramona problem. But if you ask the question, so hold on, what's the outcome you want? The first answer might be, I want a Ramona-less team. And, and then you ask another question, well, but what's that gonna get you? Like, what's ultimately the outcome you want? And it's like, well, I want a really high functioning team. Well, great. Now let's look at what goes into creating a high functioning team. And Ramona may or may not be the thing that gets in the way. But asking the question of what is the outcome you want instantaneously changes people's focus to thinking bigger, more broadly and more acutely about, you know, what they're moving towards as opposed to what they're trying to move away from. And, and, and that scenario you just presented might lead eventually to, to having what for the leader might be an uncomfortable conversation with Ramona. Uh, Howie, I want to ask you, talk about the importance of not avoiding those uncomfortable conversations. Why do we need to, to just suck it up and do it anyway? Yeah, well, because uh, we can do a risk-benefit analysis of what's the, what happens if we don't have that conversation. It's pretty simple. It's, it's just like any other kind of procrastination. Like, I don't want to do my taxes. I don't want to have the, like, <laughs> I want to, I'm feeling okay now. And I don't want to uh, change my feeling state to an, to an uncomfortable one. So we all know that there's, um, you know, tremendous benefit to being willing. And this is something, you know, that Peter and I have talked about. He wrote about in his last book, Leading with Emotional Courage. The, his quote is, if you're willing to feel everything, you can do anything. So the willingness to feel uncomfortable means we have a freedom to act in in various ways. So I think you know, the real the real question for me is then okay understanding that I'm avoiding this conversation what are the things that I can do or how can I help somebody else um begin to you know be willing to approach it. Howie, I want to stick with you for just a second, because something you guys talk about in the book is this sort of dynamic between guilt and shame, uh, uh, guilt versus shame. Talk about shame for just a second. Uh, it often holds us back from changing. How can we begin to get past that, though? Yeah. So as as the people who are helping others, the, one of the things we can do is get clear on our own motivation. So if I'm you know trying to get someone else to change and it's because I'm angry at them or I'm frustrated, then that energy is just going to trigger more shame in them. And I can start to feel ashamed of myself. Like, why do I want that person to change? Why am I talking to them that way? So first, to begin to forgive ourselves. And to and we do that by recognizing our own positive motivation. What do we want for them? And then we can, once, we ha- once we're good with ourselves, we can say, well, what are they going for that's positive, that's generative, that's generous, that's, that's good? And even if they're going about it in the wrong way. And once we begin to approach them in terms of, I want to help you achieve the thing that you want, and it's normal and natural that people will need help with this, 
you know, then they don't need to be defensive. We were talking earlier before we got on this call, like what exactly do we mean by shame? And sort of like a, you know, a deep feeling of a personal deficiency, like there's something wrong with me. Mm. And Jeff, I don't want you to know about it. I'm going to do whatever I can because I'm the only one in the world with this problem. And so I'm going to keep it a secret and I'm going to put on a mask and I'm going to do all the things that I know how to do to not deal with it. And, you know, if I'm going to change, I'm going to have to say, you know what, this is a thing that is real. And so if I'm if I'm going to knee jerk, feel shame every time I think about it, mm. I'm not going to be willing to approach it. So one of our jobs as helpers is to model that change is normal, natural and good so that they can, you know, sort of massage the edges of that shame and say, OK, yeah, I would like some help. Uh, Peter, what about when, uh, say, an employee doesn't want to have a particularly difficult conversation? I'm talking about the employee here, not the employer. Uh, short of firing them, uh, <laughs> what, what might a leader do to, to hold them accountable in the face of, of pushback? Um, it's a great question. And, and it's a great question because when I'm a coach in an organization, there's a different, I have a different role in, in helping people to be accountable than when I'm a boss, where I'm actually ultimately accountable for your performance. And what Howie and I suggest in the book and, and tends to work very well is to be very clear about your role as a boss and holding them accountable while being open to the permission piece, right? So step one is really mm. getting permission. So let me give you an example. Jeff, let's just say that you're my employee and you need to get something to me, uh, get a piece of, you know, get a report to me. And, and you needed to go to Howie to get information and Howie hasn't given you the information you need. So you come to me and you say, hey, Peter, I'm not going to be able to get you that report by Monday because I haven't gotten the information from Howie. Now I'm I'm here and you haven't given me permission to help you yet, right? Even though implicitly mm. I have it, but I don't want to create resistance to change. So I go, hey, Jeff, I, I really need that report by Monday. I, I understand you're having a problem getting it from Howie. Do you want to think about it together and think about how to do it? Now, let's just say for the sake of argument, Jeff, you say, no, I, I, I don't need help thinking about it. I'm just not going to be able to get it, mm. right? So now... I'm, I'm your boss. You're telling me I can't have some, a deliverable and you're blaming it on someone else. So what's my next move, right? And my next move is to say, Jeff, I understand you're having a hard time getting it from Howie. I still need that deliverable by Monday. Like I, I'm, I'm holding you accountable to that. Mm. I'm not going to make you think it through with me. I, I, if you don't want to think it through with me, I trust that you'll be able to figure it out. Know that I'm here to help you think it through and to help you figure out how to get what you need from Howie. But either way, that's your call. My call is to say, you made a commitment to me to get this by Monday. I still need it by Monday and I'm holding you accountable for that. Uh, just for the record, Howie, I would never throw you under the bus like that. I just want you to know that. Well, <laughs> just, 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 for the, just for the record, in that hypothetical, I started feeling shame already. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, while, we're, while we're putting things for the record, I just want to go back to something Howie said, you know, 15 minutes ago. And if there is someone from the IRS listening, Howie does do his taxes. So I just wanted to <laughs> sort of put that out there in case, you know, while we're putting things on the record. <laughs> that's, that's probably a smart thing to do. Yes. Uh, 
Uh, well, some of the more uh, common distractions you guys mention in the book are, are, are blaming others, as we just talked about, and, and, and self-criticism. What can we do, going back to the employee now, I guess, uh, to overcome those tendencies to want to blame other people or self-criticize? Um, so blaming others or self-criticism are actually ways of avoiding responsibility, right? Mm. They're, they're even self-criticism. Even when I say, oh man, I'm just really bad at that. I am not good at uh, speaking up in meetings or getting things from people when they tell me they don't have them. I'm just not good at that. You know, it, it, on the surface, it's a red herring. On the surface, it looks like I'm taking responsibility. In actuality, I'm not taking responsibility. I'm avoiding responsibility by blaming, you know, my uh, lack of performance on some immutable character defect of mine I can't control. So, and blaming others, it's the same way. I'm either going to blame someone else or blame myself, but I'm still not going to be taking action. Hmm. So those are real distractions. And what we can do to begin to overcome that is to really express some confidence in the other person. Like, I've seen you very capable. I could almost invariably say, I've seen you speak up in meetings, or I've seen you get things from other people when you need to. Like, and, and, and ultimately, you know, ultimately what we're doing every time is expressing confidence and offering support, right? To say, I, you know, this is something that needs to be done. And, and, and what I really, the formula is empathize, express confidence and, and ask permission. So it's like, I understand that this is really hard. I understand that it is unfamiliar to you. It is uncomfortable to speak on a meeting. It is it is difficult and uncomfortable to ask something from someone who's not giving it to you. I really get that. And I, I know you are capable of doing it. I've seen you do it in other situations. I have tremendous faith in your band. Do you want to think it through together? Do you want to think through how to do this? Because I would like to support you in any way that you're willing to, to receive support. So it's like, I'm going to empathize with the challenge, which is really true. I'm going to express confidence, which also is true. And then I'm going to offer to support you. You know, as you were answering that, I realized that I intended to ask that question of Howie and not Peter. Uh, Howie, that was a pretty good answer. Do you think you can top that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can I can add to it. Sure, sure. Take it away. That what we're really talking about is not taking the bait. Like in a mm. sense, if they're red herrings. So in, instead of and one, one way to take the bait is to argue. And to say, oh, no, you're good at it. Or, oh, no, they're not a problem. And then we're out of rapport and we're, we're in conflict. Or to indulge it. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah, that's terrible. Like, to the extent that we can sort of ignore it and keep moving them back towards, so what do you want? What are you going to do? Right? Because those are those are the real issues. And the, and the blame and criticism are, are there, you know, some part of them is just attempting to not change. So we don't want to feed that. Well said. There's a couple of questions I want to ask both of you uh, in just a moment. Before I do that, anything else from the book you want to make sure we, we know or, or walk away with that I didn't ask about? Uh, you know, I usually say no, and then I say something after that. So, <laughs> no, no, no. But, you know, one thing I would emphasize is um, I appreciate you, you know, highlighting the issues that you did, Jeff. And, and I think the one thing I want to share as an overview is the title of this book is You Can Change Other People. And you could interpret that as hubris. But in mm -hmm. fact, um, I think Howie and I both approach it with an incredible amount of humility and a sense that, you know, the kindest, most loving, caring thing we can do is to help people who are struggling 
with changing the way that they're showing up in certain ways to help them in a way that doesn't elicit shame, but but um, stokes their power uh, and and their ability to show up in the world that they want to. And it just feels really important to me that you know people understand the approach that we have, which is really to you know help people show up the way they want to show up in the world. I, I have found over the years that writers tend to be voracious readers. And I'm going to go out on a limb unless you tell me otherwise in a moment and assume that's the case here. I'll start with you, Howie. Talk a bit about your history uh, with reading, how it's impacted your life and career, and give us maybe a book or two that's, that's had an impact on you during that time. Yeah. And, you know, what you said earlier, I can't remember whether it was before or after we started recording that, you know, books are sort of an admission that's something you don't know. That's exactly what we were talking about earlier. Like every mm. time I see a new book, there's like this feeling of kind of excitement that there's, I'm gonna, there's, there's something new I could learn. So mm-hmm. it really is, you know, this this exercise in humility. And, you know, P- Peter and I are extremely proud of our humility, as, as you can hear. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the books keep changing in terms of like, I, mm-hmm. I always keep finding the one that I need. And then I, like my wife will, will roll her eyes like, oh, my God, this is the this is the book I've been waiting for my whole life. So I'd say sort of recently a book called Sand Talk by... Um, uh, an Australian indigenous scholar named Tyson Yonkaporta, and it's it's looking at Western civilization from an indigenous perspective, has kind of shaken me up. And then Peter, leading with emotional courage, really helped me in a lot of ways to, that's Peter's book, to, mm. to square the circle of like, I have this love-hate relationship with like business and capitalism. And the way Peter goes about it really is an invitation for me to say, here's a, here's a way to get really deep work done in the world without losing my soul. Mm. Peter, same question uh, to you. Yeah. Thank you, Howie. So, uh, yes, I've always read a lot. And my father was a big reader. And I grew up with a library in our house. And I'm, I'm Jewish and like reading and study and like books were always a huge part of, of my growing up. But I, I want to like this, this question reminded me of a conversation I had with Gloria Emerson who was a renowned uh, journalist, and she taught at the college I went to, and I w- and she, very quirky, lovely, crazy woman. <laughs> we were talking about someone, and I said, wow, I would love to meet that person. I'd love to talk to that person. And she said, have you read his books? And I said, no. And she goes, well... <laughs> Don't be an idiot. Like, read his books. That's talking to him. Yes. Like, when you read his books, you will, like, you don't get to answer him, but you get to <laughs> learn, like, all of it. If, if what you really want to do by talking to him is to learn from him and listen to him, then read his books. And, you know, as a writer now, having written five books and contributed to 15, 16 others, I would say that my best thinking is in my books. Mm. And and I realize that's true for the other writers that I that I know. And Howie, you know, I, again, I'll return the compliment, which is that I'm I'm eating a lot less meat from from uh, <laughs> from things I've learned from Howie. Mm. And I uh, and yeah, like talking to Howie is it's a gem talking to you, Howie. Like I mm. learned so much, and I also know that you have amazing thinking in your books. And so like if I write an intimate email to you, Jeff, mm. it's you're going to read that email and you're going to feel like, wow, this is 
I mean, I think, I don't know. Let me say it in the reverse. If you write an intimate email to me, I'm going to be like, wow, I'm so excited to read this thing from Jeff and like to get his thinking. And I love the relationship. And so what's different about that and your book that you just wrote is like the book you wrote is getting more widespread publication, but it's still your intimate and cleanest thoughts about right. something that has has gone through a process of introspection and and thoughtfulness. And so to me, reading is all about meeting the thoughts of another person. And that's, mm. you know, super, super exciting to me. Yeah, you can't get that from a blog post or a 10 minute YouTube video. It's everything in in one place, right? And you can you can hand it to somebody else and share it with them. Love it. Well, let me ask both of you, what's ahead for you? What are you looking forward to with the book out and once promotion of that is behind you, what's next for you and your team that you're willing to share with us? Um, well, you know, Howie and I, uh, Howie mentioned at the beginning, like I was running a coach training and then I decided I wasn't going to run it anymore. And and that was the genesis of this book in many ways. So Howie and I, and we haven't announced this at all. So may, this is, I guess, the first time that we're announcing it. But uh, we're going to design some kind of a workshop training, something probably online, maybe mm. also in person with the ideas of the book. And that excites me because I love teaching. I know how he loves teaching. He's great at it. And that's, you know, that's that's one of the prominent things that's next in my life. Anything different for you, Howie? No, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I mean, Peter and I have been sort of working together ad hoc for 20 years. And this feels like, you know, a re an opportunity to, to kind of really, you know, lean in. I've learned so much from writing this book with Peter mm. that, you know, I just, I love the conversations we have. I love the, you know, trying to figure out how to say something clearly until I really understand it. And, and, and I just, I love doing this more in my own life, the four steps that we talk about in the book. Right. And it feels really good. So, you know, it's it's like it's a great pleasure to become more like that, to become less critical, to become less judgmental. And so to take this on professionally and share this, I feel like, you know, the world's in a tough place right now. And one thing we need is for people who are able to communicate with each other about tough things. And I think mm. I, I like to think that our book contributes to to that skill. And that book, again, is, is You Can Change Other People, The Four Steps to Help Your Colleagues, Employees, Even Family Up Their Game. Peter, Howie, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks. For more on this episode, the books recommended or to reach out to Peter and or Howie, visit the show notes page for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 393 for episode 393. Hey, be sure and visit our sponsor's website, too, and check out how you can get your prescription medications delivered to your door and at wholesale prices. That's scriptco.com, S-C-R-I-P-T-C-O.com, and get $25 off your initial membership with the code READ25. That's R-E-A-D-25. And finally, I'll mention if your workplace is looking for help in instilling personal and professional growth habits among your team, reading, of course, being key among those, I am happy to come in and lead half day or full day workshops, even help you get an internal book club running and off the ground. You can find out more about that when you write me at contact at readtoleadbook.com. That's contact at readtoleadbook.com. That does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, as always, leaders read and readers lead. Read.